Malambang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Hi, Victory Family. How are you all doing? Well, welcome to another ECQ worship service. For those of you who are joining us from your own homes, uh, we're so glad and so happy to see you all join here. Well, I don't see you, but you see me, I guess. You know, when you, when you talk about us being locked down in ECQ, you know, I don't know if there's a getting used to it. You know, uh, a lot of us are hoping that we can go out and do normal lives again. But, um, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry, as they say. Uh, in fact, last week, it was quite a sorrowful week as we have encountered several of our members uh, passing away and some of their family members also passing away either from covid and uh, from other sicknesses. And so we are praying for comfort for those who have lost loved ones. We are, you know, we are standing with you in prayer. We're here for you. And in fact, you know, this is not planned. I just want to take this short time to pray with you right now for comfort. Lord, I just pray for those who are going through grief and who are needing comfort and strength and grace. I just pray, God, that you would come and, Lord, heal and bring grace, and your presence would be upon them, God. I know how difficult it is to lose a loved one, God, and I just pray, God, that you would be with them during this time. And I thank you, Lord God, that your healing and your comfort would be upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so we are um, on week number five of our series, Salt and Light, and we're still using the book of Isaiah as a text on how to study uh, and look at how God is expecting us as a people to live. Uh, you know, how does it mean for us to be salt and light? We have talked about in the couple of weeks, uh, you know, the Holy Week, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, on how Jesus as King coming in to serve uh, His people. And also last week, we talked about Him being a suffering servant. So, you know, He basically is the one that uh, gives us an example how it is to serve people as a church. And so we're going to be looking at, uh, again, from the book of Isaiah chapter 58. And so if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open it to Isaiah chapter 58. We'll be reading uh, just a few verses, not the whole chapter, but from verse 6 to 8. Okay, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, verses 6 to 8. Is not this the fast that I chose or I choose to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord. It's my to pray. Father, once again, thank you so much for our time together. May you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you and stir us to action, God, to be a compassionate church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so, you know, this particular set of verses, if you are opening your Bible, you know, the title on top of the page is actually, True and false fasting. Yes, it refers to true and false fasting. But yet, I believe that this is more than about fasting. It's not just about fasting. It goes beyond fasting. And the passages reveals, uh, reveal what is important in the very heart of God. So we will see that, you know, as we go through some of the parts of this chapter, 
that we ought to live out the life that God has called us to live. In fact, in the starting verse of Isaiah chapter 58, it shows us a description of a very religious and ethical people. And you know, if you're familiar with Israel, they are a called people of God, but yet they also practice uh, you know, a strict moral code. And they do fasting, they pray, they worship. This was a people who's committed to observe the laws of God. How many of you are committed, you know, as a Christian, as a believer, you're committed to observe the, the commands of God. And, you know, the Bible says, if you love God, you'll obey His commands. And that is so true. And, you know, in, during this time, uh, right after exile, they were trying to go back to God after being in exile with Babylon for many, many years, for a long time. And God had delivered them from their captivity in Babylon, but Israel had not yet been fully restored uh, to its former glory as had been expected as, and as they have been praying for. In fact, they were trying to make Israel great again, if you're familiar with that particular tagline. And yet in verse 2, you know, this is what God has declared upon them. Yet they seek me. Okay? Um, verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. And they did not forsake the judgment of their God. You know, it is so interesting that, you know, somehow there was a, an outward form of religiosity and ethical practice that the Jews were, were doing in order for them to once again be uh, close to God. And one of the things that they did to restore the glory of uh, Israel was to fast as part of their approach to God in prayer and in their worship. But even in their fasting, you know, you know, we know we're familiar with fasting, right? You know, once, uh, actually twice a year, we're fasting as a church. We do a five-day fast at the beginning of the year, and we do another three-day fast at the uh, middle of the year. In fact, just recently, uh, we declared a once-a-week fast for three weeks. In fact, uh, we just ended it last Thursday in order for us to humble ourselves before the Lord and to somehow hear His will for our lives. But yet, in the nation of Israel, even in their fasting, they haven't seen the restoration of the glory of Israel. So, their tendency was to grumble or before the Lord. They were asking the Lord, Lord, what's happening here? In verse 3, we read that earlier, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? You know, it's as if that they're saying, Lord, we're, we're worshiping you. We're fasting before you as required by your law. In fact, uh, in Israel, once a year, the requirement is that they fast during Yom Kippur. They fast once a year, but, you know, the Pharisees fast regularly. Uh, you know, they tithe. They go to the synagogue and give their tenth. They observe the Sabbath, but yet nothing's happening. And it's as if that they were saying, Lord, where are you, God? We're doing all these things. We're humbling ourselves. But it seems that you're not answering our prayers. It seems that their efforts are meaningless and it's totally in vain. And then we see that in the succeeding verse, God answers them. Behold, my people, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. 
fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. And you know, that was like a rebuke to them. Because yes, they're doing the external form of fasting, but yet their motives were impure. And they might be sincere in their worship, but they were driven by what they want and not by what God wants. And I realize that you may do religious acts of observing the Sabbath, but you, you know, let your workers work during the Sabbath. In this case, Israelites are doing that. They want to earn a little bit more. Yes, they're following the Sabbath by not working, but those who own establishments, they let the workers work during the Sabbath. And so God is saying, what you're doing is oppression here. What you're doing is not right. And we have to learn the heart of God. What is God's heart in these passages? What does God really want? You know what pleases God? You know, God is pleased with this word, compassion. He's pleased with compassion and He wants us to do justice. You know, when you talk about compassion, compassion means to suffer with. Compassion. You know, we're familiar with the Passion Week, the week of suffering. Com means with, to suffer with. If you have compassion for another person, you're not just praying for that person, you're suffering with that person. You know, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God? You know, this is what God wants. And this is really what we have read earlier. It's not this the fast that I choose. You know, when we're fasting, why do we fast? Do we fast because it's a requirement or, you know, maybe because our parents told us we're fasting or maybe your pastor said, oh, it's time to fast five days, three days, you know. We're fasting because it's a, it's all about, you know, it's, we're, we're fasting together we're, and we're better together. You know, why do we, what's the motive of fasting? Or maybe some are fasting because, you know, I want to get thinner or wanna, I want to lose some pounds, you know. Uh, you know, what's the motive of fasting? And so he said, it's not this the fast that I choose. To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. And then he proceeded by saying, is it not to share your bread with the hungry when you're fasting? To bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see the naked, to cover him. And not to hide yourself or to run away from them. Not to hide yourself from your own flesh. So what is God saying here? You know, what God is saying, if you say that we love God, but you don't care for the poor, then maybe we don't really understand our love for God. If we claim that we are a people who have a relationship with God, but have not cared for the oppressed and the weak and the vulnerable, then we don't know the heart of God. You know, love for God must always lead to love for our fellow human beings. And that love must manifest in a deep compassion for the well-being of the helpless and the poor and the oppressed. And God does not just want us to do religious rituals or spiritual disciplines, if I may use that term, because these are important things in our Christian walk. I read my Bible every day. I love it. I love to pray. I love to meditate on the Word of God. But God is saying, don't just stop there. Live it out. You know, live out your Christianity. You know, be salt and light. 
You know, he wants us to take care of the lowly of society. You know, how does our Bible reading and fasting and praying translate to our daily living? How do we treat others? You know, the Bible says the greatest commands are two things. Love the Lord your God and love others. It's impossible to separate those two. If we love God, then we would love others by serving them and by taking care of them. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, prayed this. He said, Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. What a prayer. And then for me, I, I consider that as a dangerous prayer because, you know, he's praying for his heart to be broken. You know, many times when we would pray for our hearts, we're praying for our hearts to be mended. We're praying for our hearts to be healed. We're praying for our hearts to be whole. You know, for those of you who have been brokenhearted, you know how it feels. And you're asking, Lord, Lord, heal my heart. But this, you know, the, you know Bob Pierce, he, he prayed a dangerous prayer by saying, Lord, break my heart. Break my heart for the things that break your heart. And the question for us as a church today is this. Do we really know the God that we serve? Do we know what breaks the heart of God? You know, from time to time, I would be invited to speak in other churches. And the pastor there would normally ask me how I would like to, myself to be introduced. And so I would normally say, just introduce me as Ariel, Pastor Ariel. I'm the husband of Shirley. I'm the you know, father of four kids. And I'm a pastor of Victory because these are the things that I do you know, as a pastor. Yet when you talk about God introducing himself to Moses back in Exodus, God introduced himself to Moses not, just, you know, not as the creator of the universe or the almighty God, the one who can part the Red Sea. You know, in, ver- in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, you know, uh, it's interesting that I was, as I was reading this text, God introduced himself to Moses and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and he said this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He didn't say, I am a God of this, a God of, you know, the one who created all the heavens and the earth, and I own all these things, the treasures of the earth. He introduces himself as a God of the poor. He would like to identify himself with, as a God of compassion. He's the father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. We, we read this in, uh, in Psalm chapter 68. He defends the weak. He is, uh, you know, he is, uh, one who is uh, looking after the oppressed and the marginalized. And this is not just a, an isolated verse that we found in the Old Testament, but we would actually see this all throughout Scripture. In fact, Proverbs is riddled with you know, such emphasis that God is really have, has a heart for the poor. In uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, 31, it says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him, honors God. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. You know, does, man, uh, does God owe man anything? Not really. In fact, he does not owe us anything. 
But there's one verse in the Bible that says He owes us something when we are generous and when we're kind to the poor. Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Oh, wow. And we don't want that. God indeed has in His heart a special place for the poor, the needy, those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized. Dr. Kim, Tim Keller uh, observes, and he wrote this in his book, Generous Justice, and he said, From ancient times, the God of the Bible stood out from the gods of all other religions as a God on the side of the powerless and of justice for the poor. What I would say is, you know, I realize that God is pro-poor. He looks at them with special concern. God has a special affinity and concern and love for the poor people. And I believe that part of the blessings that we receive through the covenant that we have with Abraham has a purpose. And how many of you know that God wants to bless His people? And I believe in blessings. I believe God wants to prosper us. I believe God's, uh, God wants to prosper you. If you're praying for prosperity, God has no problem with that. We see that in Deuteronomy 28, you know, the, the, the promised blessing. But yet, when we talk about blessing, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Could it be that God is blessing us and giving us a lot of extra so that we can be a blessing to the poor, to the needy, to the marginalized, to those who are vulnerable. In other words, we are salt and light. And this is in the heart of God. You know, we see poverty in our nation. It is a very familiar scene in our daily lives. In fact, there's not one day that maybe we will not notice somebody begging in the street or you know, when you drive around the city, we will see people who are homeless, people who are living below the poverty line. And, you know, uh, I, I, I was, I'm familiar with poverty because I lived in Tondo for the first seven years of, of my life. And um, I, I saw poverty every day growing up until we, you know, my, my parents uh, decided to move us out of there, you know, because they were able to save up and then move us to Paranaque. But yet sometimes because of this Familiarity and over-familiarity, we become desensitized to the growing problem of poverty. And I hope that as a church and as a people that we will not be callous in our heart. Every time we see people who are poor in the street, that we will actually just shut our ears to them. And, you know, the World Bank had estimated the poverty uh, incidence in the Philippines at 23.1% back in 2017. And it actually declined to 21.9% in 2018. You know, poverty incidence may have decreased in 2018, but it is expected to increase due to the economic factors related to the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, there is such a big need that's happening around the world right now. And in other words, even Jesus is saying that we need to take care of the poor. And he told his disciples this, the poor will always be among you. You know, even I believe, even if our economic status as a nation becomes better, you know, in the future, there will always be poor people, people among us. 
what are we to do if we're to see them around us? You know, I used to mind, not mind the uh, street kids, you know, whenever I would drive and they would actually, sometimes when there's going to be a stoplight and I would drive and they would actually knock on the window and you're familiar with this particular scene and, uh, you know, I, I would think, you know, and as I was told, you know, they're normally part of a syndicate or, you know, they're doing that because someone is actually telling them to just go and beg or maybe they're going to use that money for gambling. But I find myself, you know, nowadays just still giving to them, you know, just a little so that they can actually get by. And if I find some food in the car, I would give it to them because they are poor and they would be in need. And however they would use that money, you know, it's up to them. But somehow, there's something that should ring in our hearts that should go out and give. You know, a few days ago, I was driving again along Commerce Avenue and, you know, I saw these young girls uh, selling, not begging, but selling uh, cleaning rags. You're familiar with that, the, the flannel rags. And so, I have quite a lot in the house. Not a lot, but, you know, I have still stock in the house. And so, uh, when one girl approached me, I said, I still have some. And so, she approached me on the right side of the car. I was driving alone. And she transferred on the driver's side of the car. And, you know, I couldn't bear not to buy, so I obliged. And I just gave her the money that she was asking for, and I just put that rag, uh, you know, under my seat. And I said, there's no immediate use for them. I found myself just at least doing something in that particular situation. You know, our God always identifies himself with the poor and the needy and not with the people at the top of the ladder. You know, when you talk about social justice, social justice has risen to a place of prominent need and attention for different peoples everywhere. And we see a lot of different uh, advocacies. Black Lives Matter, Protection for Women, Anti-Human Trafficking, you know, Bill Gates Foundation, etc. You know, with all the massive needs in the world, who does God really call us to serve in our neighborhood, in our city? And I believe that we can actually find the right context if we go and look at Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10. It gives us a hint of the heart of God. It says, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Nicholas Walterstoff, in his writing, Justice, actually coined an interesting term, the quartet of the vulnerable. And we see this four people, four, four kinds of people in what we have read in Zechariah. We see the widows. These are the women who are not protected because they lost their husbands who are normally working for the family. We see orphans. These are the young children that are disadvantaged. They can actually not fend for themselves if no one takes care of them. We see foreigners. You're not just talking about travelers or those who are, you know, vacationing. We're talking about refugees here. We're talking about people who have been plucked out from where they are, and they are now here with us, among us. And then the fourth group is the poor. It means that they, they lack the means to survive. You know, this group don't always appear as one group in the Scriptures, but this group appear at least a dozen times, you know, scattered in the Old and the New Testament, that God wants us to put a special attention to love and to protect them. 
a number of years ago at the Seattle Special Olympics, there's an interesting story. Uh, these are special kids, you know, young athletes, so to speak. Not professional athletes, but they're disabled athletes. And, you know, there were nine contestants, all physically or uh, mentally disabled. They assembled at the starting line of a 100-yard dash. And at the gun, you know, they were, you know, almost getting ready. On your mark, get set, go. Boom! And they started out not exactly in a dash, but with a desire to run the race to finish and win. All that is except one boy who stumbled on the asphalt, tumbled over a couple of times, and he began to cry. And as the other eight are nearing the finish line, they heard the boy cry. They slowed down and looked back. And all eight of them turned around and they went back to the crying boy. Every one of them. One girl with a Down syndrome bent down and kissed him and said, this will make it better. <clears throat> and then all nine stood up, linked arms together, and they walked together to the finish line. You know, everyone in the stadium stood and the cheering went on for several minutes. People who were there were still retelling the story. Now, why is that? Because there is something inside each of us that we are designed to do. What matters in life is more than winning or becoming successful. What truly matters is this, helping others win, even if it does slow us down or maybe sometimes changing our course. You know, as a church, it is not enough to just pray. We must combine action to prayer. It is not enough to just move on in life with our goals, with our agendas. We got a purpose. We're heading towards our, you know, our, our, you know, uh, the goal that we have. But yet we must consider other brothers and sisters, especially those who have fallen behind. Only then we will see God's glory revealed in our world. And I believe that, you know, we can actually recognize the face of God in all of these people, because they are God's children. You know, on Judgment Day, in Matthew 25, you know, God is, Jesus is saying this parable, that God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And, you know, he would actually tell them, uh, on the people on the right, you know, come to you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you. For I was hungry, you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. And I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, you visited me. And I was in prison, you came to me. And then the righteous will ask, Lord, when did we do this for you? And in verse 40, it's interesting, he said, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of this, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he said to the left, the goats, you know, you did not, Help me. You did not feed me. You did not do this for me. You did not visit me when I was sick. You did not visit me in prison. And then they asked, when did we not do this? And he said in verse 45, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And as we do what we are called to do as a church, then the world will know God as we let our light shine forth. And this is what we've read in verse 8 of Isaiah 58. Then your light uh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord 
shall be your rear guard. And why are we to do this? How can we actually be salt and light? Because God also suffered with us. You're talking about compassion. You're talking about to suffer with. Guess what? God is not only with us, but God suffered with us. In the Old Testament, God identified with the poor. But yet in the New Testament, God literally identified with the poor when Jesus was born in a manger. Not in a delivery room in a fancy, nice hospital. He was born with a poor set of parents. You know, Mary and Joseph were not exactly the influential type. They're not rich. They were, you know, they had a simple trade. They, have, they, they are carpenters. And at the end of his life, you know, he had one possession. Jesus, as he was on his way to the cross, he only possessed his robe, whom the soldiers took and cast lots for. In fact, towards his way to Jerusalem, he rode a borrowed donkey. He even borrowed a room, you know, for the Last Supper. In fact, when he passed away, when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. I guess he does not need one because he will only use it for three days, right? In other words, Jesus had nothing that this world can offer. And yet during his three years of ministry, he ministered widely in Galilee, in Jerusalem. And there was, oh, he was always defending those who are poor and needy and the marginalized and the widows. He would minister to them. Jesus identified with the poor. He also identified with the oppressed. In fact, he was also a victim of injustice himself for the mistrial that was done by the religious people. And they decided to set a criminal free so that he can actually be executed on that cross. Christianity is not just that God came into the world to die for us on the cross, but that he also suffered with us. You know, John Stott, a British preacher, said this, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is, in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as the God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? You know, there's not one religion on the earth except Christianity who believes that God was subjected to pain also and injustice. And we would see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. As I prepare to close, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, Jesus is poor, yet we know He's rich. He owns everything as God, but yet He chose to become poor and He chose to become oppressed so that we can be made rich towards God. And if you're writing a main point, just go ahead and write this main point. As salt and light, we must care for the defenseless as Jesus cared for them. Once again, as salt and light, we must care for the defenseless as Jesus cared for them. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the fact that you have sent your son Jesus to not only heal and not only do miracles and do a great teaching of the gospel, 
but he came in and was able to relate with us. He became poor. He was oppressed and he suffered with us. And I pray God that you would give us the same heart, your heart for the poor, the needy, the marginalized. And I thank you that as a church that you will continue to be salt and light, that you will not be oblivious to the needs of others around us, but help us, Lord God, to be a vehicle of grace, especially during this time of pandemic. And Lord, I pray also for those who are in need, those who are poor among us, those who are oppressed among us. I pray for grace. I pray for special grace and provision for them. And I pray that as a community, that we'll be able to stand with them and help them where they are, God. I pray that you would encourage them. I thank you that you will lift up their spirits today, God, and allow them to realize that you know their situation and that you are there with them and for them. And for those of you who are not yet saved or born again, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to just lead you into a time of prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you come and follow along with me? Just pray this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, once again I come before you in humility and acknowledge that I have sinned and I have broken your heart. I ask for your forgiveness right now and I'm thankful for the fact that you paid for my sins on the cross. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that he is raised from the dead and therefore starting today, I know for certain that I am saved and I am forgiven. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Wow. Well, if you pray that prayer, congratulations. Today is definitely your first day of your walk with God. And if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you want to also join a small group, why don't you go ahead and click the link down below, uh, victoryalabang.church slash connect. And if you are in need of prayers, uh, we'd love to pray with you. Let us, uh, you know, hear your request by sending it to victoryalabang.church slash pray. And I hope that you were encouraged and challenged and moved by the preaching today and the worship service today. And uh, if, if there's any uh, thing that you want to especially discuss with your family, we have discussion questions that you can actually apply and uh, use for, you know, your, your time together, your talk with your family, maybe during lunch or maybe during dinner. So if you learned something today, just go ahead and tag Victor Elabang and stay tuned for future announcements and updates. Uh, you know, when we will go back from ECQ, you can actually go to Victor Elabang Facebook or IG page. So please always stay safe. Take care of yourself and each other, okay? So let me pray for you right now as we close. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Bless your people, Lord God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you peace. May the love of our Heavenly Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. See you next week. for listening make sure to subscribe and follow us on facebook twitter and instagram feel free to share this message with your friends too 
For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalamang.church.